Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving with family and uh, celebrated some time together. I know my family enjoyed having my mother-in-law, Terry's mom and brother in town, and my brother and his kids, and we enjoyed uh, some of the good old times of Skip Bo and Uno. I'm pretty sure my nephew, my niece, cheated because she won every time, so <laughs> at least that's what I'm going with. Anyway, time together with family is, is good time, makes for great memories, uh, special uh, memories together, and so... Reminds me of a lady who decided she wanted to do something special for her family one year. And she really was kind of tired of going through the same old routine of going to the grocery store, buying that frozen turkey, fixing it just like everybody else does. So one year she decided to do something different, something special, kind of a farm-to-table sort of thing. So she decides to go to a turkey farm and pick out a live bird that she would pick for her own family and just make something special, something different. So that's what she did. She goes to this farm, picks out a turkey, uh, brings it home, but couldn't quite bring herself to chopping the turkey's head off or wringing its neck like they do. She had not really thought about that. So she got to thinking and she said, well, I know what I'll do. She had a bottle of formaldehyde and she just used that to put the turkey down. And it worked. I mean, that turkey collapsed on the spot, not a shed of blood. And so she went to prepare the turkey, started plucking feathers off of that turkey one at a time. It's a big deal. I mean, that's a fairly large bird, as you know. So it took a while. And so she went to go wash her hands once all that was done, turned around to realize she didn't kill that turkey. It woke up, and that naked bird chased her around that house <laughs> as mad as a hornet. I have no idea whether that story's true or not. But it doesn't matter. It's fun to laugh. And I have no idea how I'm going to transition into a sermon from here, but <laughs> I do hope you had a great time with family, and I do know that the, the holidays uh, do present an opportunity to have some really special times, the fun time of year, but I also recognize that for others, it's a difficult time of year. Um, for some, the holidays kind of highlight the dysfunction in families. <laughs> Getting people together is not necessarily a good thing. For others, they're separated from family, maybe uh, from distance or having lost a loved one, and so it can be hard. What's fun for some can be difficult for others. So this morning, I just want to encourage everyone, I hope. <laughs> this is something that means a lot to me. It's really just kind of a reflection from uh, some time I've spent in just my own devotion time. I've mentioned it to you before and I want to share it with you this morning just in terms of my favorite two words in all of Scripture. You can look at all the, the verses throughout Scripture, but I could narrow it down to these two words as the most significant two words in all of Scripture. And it is this. But you. But you, O sovereign Lord. Those two words can mark a transition in our life that has the power to change sadness into joy, discouragement into hope, guilt into forgiveness, even death into life, in two words. And so that's what I want us to think about and consider together this morning. So let's pray. Lord, I am grateful for just the joy of being together with this family, this church family of people that have really spent a lot of life together. There's a long history of relationships here 
And there are new people who have come in to be a part of this church body, and I'm grateful for that. Just as it's important to cherish the time that we have with our brothers and sisters and people that we grew up with, it's just as important to cherish the time that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we share life with on a day-to-day basis. So help us come together to have our hearts in the right place to really be encouraged by your word so that we might encourage one another. Father, we love you. We have a lot to be thankful for. And we bring this to you this morning with hearts of praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as you look at Scripture, those two words can be in a variety of forms. It can say, but you, or but God, or but now. But in each of those cases, it's intended to communicate the very same thing. It marks a turning point in our life because those two words highlight the power of God's sovereignty. They highlight, for example, the power of God's sovereignty over our circumstances. Now, in the book of Genesis, there's a a character in Scripture that understands this truth, a man by the name of Joseph. Here's a man who was rejected by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was wrongfully accused of infidelity, then wrongfully imprisoned for a crime that he didn't commit. Every time he seemed to kind of get his head above water, another wave would come crashing and put him under again. It seemed like every time he tried to do the right thing, he was punished for something that he didn't do wrong. How easy it would have been for Joseph in the midst of all those difficulties to just give up. To finally say, you know, I just can't do this anymore. I don't know that any one of us would have blamed him. (laughs) After all that he had gone through. But Joseph persevered on the basis of faith. He believed in the promise that we find in Isaiah 41.10. that says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look around you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joseph believed God was sovereign, even when his circumstances would indicate differently. No matter how bad those circumstances might be, he believed that God was still in control, which is the reason that he could tell his brothers after all those events had passed, the words that are written in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. So if you will, turn to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Let's look at them together. Very familiar passage, and you need to really read this verse in the context of all that has happened up until this point, having been betrayed by his brothers, how he had been wrongfully accused of a crime he didn't commit, wrongfully punished for a crime he didn't commit. And after all was said and done, this is what he tells his brothers. As for you, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Throughout all those circumstances that Joseph went through, where others intended to do him harm, but God used it for good. When life was unfair, but God was in control. And what is true for Joseph is true for you and I as well. Maybe you feel overwhelmed because of things going on around you. 
maybe you feel like circumstances are out of control. Sometimes it's things that we bring about ourselves, choices that we make. Sometimes we're uh, the object of choices that we didn't make and things that we didn't deserve, but yet we feel the consequences of those situations around us. Other times it's difficult for us to really put put our arms around what's going on and understand what God might have in mind. But God is able to use all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. But it all begins with the belief that God is sovereign. No matter how bad those circumstances might be, God is sovereign over our circumstances. And God has power over our enemies. Turn, if you will, to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, written by David. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 1. He says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. She has the king of Israel. David kind of was... Uh, had a target on his back. Either people were wanting to use him for his power or they were trying to take his power from him. And in this case, that was including his own family. (laughs) David writes Psalm 3 as his son Absalom, in betrayal of his own dad, forms an army to revolt against him. So David's writing Psalm 3 having been betrayed by his own son. And like Joseph, it would have been easy for David to question God's sovereignty. I mean, after all, didn't he choose David to be the king of Israel? And so why would he do that and then raise up Absalom to rip it out of his hands? That doesn't make sense. But even in the midst of the difficulty, I want you to notice David's response. Here's David, really the most powerful man on the earth, the power of a king, and yet he does not try to take control. The king of Israel, in fact, humbles himself before the king of the universe. David didn't trust in his power. David went to his knees. It says in verse 4 that he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. He, He turned to God instead of taking matters into his own hands. David was mocked for his faith. He was betrayed by his own son. He was surrounded by his enemies. But God, but God was his shield and his strength. David knew that his enemies could not do anything to him that God didn't allow. And he also knew that God wouldn't allow anything he couldn't handle. And when I say he, I don't mean David. I mean God. He would not allow anything that he couldn't handle. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. He hid behind the shield of God's sovereignty. Now, some of you may be surrounded by enemies in your mind as well. 
Some of you may be in a difficult place in your marriage and you look at your spouse and it feels like they're your enemy. But God is your shield. Some of you may be in a difficult situation with your job where it feels like your boss is against you or maybe your coach is against you or you're in a situation where you feel like somebody's against you. But God is your shield. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody you trusted. But God is your shield. God will not allow anything in your life that is too big for him to handle. If you'll just trust in him and hide behind the shield of his sovereignty. He is sovereign over our circumstances. He has power over our enemies. But what about those times when we're stuck in a pit of despair? And I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to be in a place where you are overcome by anxiety and you just don't know which way to go. What decision to make? Where exactly to turn? There's a phrase in Psalm 40 that says, being stuck in a, a pit of miry clay. That's the picture that comes to my mind when I think about being in that place. It's a place of feeling all alone, in over your head, and unable to break free. What do you do then? Well, I think that might be where the writer of Psalm 73 might have found himself. So let's look at that together. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. The reason I think that might be the case is because how he, what he says after describing his circumstances, he comes to verse 25 and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you. In other words, God, I'm out of options. <laughs> I've tried everything else. I've gone everywhere else. I've got no other hope. You are my only hope because everything else has failed. Everything else has failed. At least that's what it feels like. Whether that's true or not, when you're in a situation like this, really doesn't matter <laughs> because negative thoughts become your only reality. I've been there. I know what that feels like. But look at how the writer goes on in verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist comes to a place where he says, but God, if you are all I've got, then I believe that you're all I need. Praise the Lord that God doesn't require us to get our act together before he does something to help us. Isn't that wonderful news? Maybe we've been paralyzed by fear, overwhelmed by guilt, but God is sufficient. His power is perfected in our weakness. I can't think about being in a situation like this and not think about the, the man in the New Testament who's paralyzed or has some kind of dysfunction in his mobility that he cannot move to the waters when stirred that bring healing to those who are able to get to them. The Bible tells us that this man has been in this position for 38 years. What's very interesting is the question that Jesus asks this man when he approaches him. He asks him, do you want to be healed? It sounds like a strange question, doesn't it? Of course he wants to be healed. He's been in this position for 38 years, and he's just hoping to get into those waters and be healed. 
But so what's even more interesting is the man's response. You would have expected him to say, yes, certainly, I want to be healed. But what does he say? Instead of saying he wants to be healed, he explains why he couldn't be. You see, negative thoughts have become his only reality. He said, I have no one to put me in the water. Even if I try, others go before me. Essentially, what he's saying is, I'm all alone, I'm in over my head, and I can't break free. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He heals him. But I want you to understand that God did not require the man to believe in order to be healed. Jesus healed the man so that he might believe. He was paralyzed. He was out of options. And God rescued him. Praise God that sometimes he moves for us when we can't move at all. If God is all you have, you need to be certain that he is all you need. That our flesh and our heart may fail. But God is our strength and our portion forever. That's an eternal promise. And that could not be more significant than we are when we're dealing with the issue of sin. If you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. My favorite but God verse in the Bible. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to read along with me. Beginning in chapter 2 verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." We are never more hopeless than when we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It's a place of of total depravity. There's nothing we can do because dead people don't move. Dead people don't move. We are born under the judgment of God's wrath. We are indulging in the desires of our flesh. We are willfully choosing partake in sin, and there's nothing that we can do to break free. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and dead people don't move. There's no more desperate place in life than this. Now look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone should boast. But God, God moves first. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He made us alive 
together with Christ. We respond by faith to what God has done through Christ. He moves first. We can't boast because there's nothing that we could have done. We didn't earn his forgiveness. We don't deserve his love. All we can do is receive the gift of eternal life through faith in Christ. But that's not just true of salvation. It's true of what happens even after that point as well. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. So God doesn't take us to the cross and say, okay, I brought you this far. You've got it from here. No, in fact, what began with faith must continue with faith. If good works didn't get you there, they won't guide you from there. Instead, we are just as dependent upon God after salvation as we were before salvation. God prepares the works beforehand. He goes ahead of us. He moves first. And as we walk in faith, we walk in the good works that he's prepared beforehand. They only become a part of our experience when we follow him in faith. I've had several conversations with people this week who have found themselves in some difficult places. Sometimes it's because of their own choices. Sometimes it's because of choices that that others have made. They're the victim of those choices. But in either case, sometimes it's difficult to find a pathway out. To understand what's the next right thing. But God will show the way. He is sovereign over our circumstances. He has power over our enemies. He's rescued us from sin's control. He's never giving us more than we can handle, or more importantly, He can handle. Because I think sometimes He does give us more than we can handle to show us that He is sufficient in those things where we are powerless. His power is perfected in our weakness. So that if Jesus is all you have, there's this conviction in our heart that says, He's all we need. He will strengthen. He will help. He will uphold. But God, He is sovereign over all these things. But our understanding of this most important truth hinges on an eternal perspective. In other words, we can't judge God's actions within the confines of time from our perspective. There's a verse in the Bible that says, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years with one day. What that tells me is from the perspective of a sovereign and eternal God, time means nothing. One day is a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. See, that's the only way that my brother in the midst of his battle with cancer, could say, I will be healed. I will be healed. I don't know if it's this side of heaven or the next, but I will be healed. He understood God's promise of healing within an eternal perspective, which gave him the conviction to believe that that promise would be fulfilled in God's point of view. It's why Paul calls the suffering that we experience this side of heaven light and momentary. (laughs) 
Now, some of you who may be in a place of suffering or have been in places of suffering, you might look at that and say, that's not true because this is neither light nor momentary. That's my experience. But you need to understand what Paul is saying because he's making that statement within the context of an eternal perspective because he goes on to say that our suffering is light and momentary when compared to an eternal weight of glory. So that even a lifetime of suffering pales in comparison to an eternity of joy within the presence of a holy and good and righteous God. It's light and momentary compared to an eternal weight of glory. We just have to train our heart to see beyond the limits of this world. Reminds me of a story of a woman. It's actually the first woman to swim across the English Channel both ways. It's about 21 miles one way. The same woman, her name was Florence Chadwick, in 1952 uh, made a similar attempt to swim from Catalina Island to the shore of California, about 21, a little over 21 miles. This particular day was uh, unusually foggy. And so when she was swimming, She could barely see the the boats beside her that were escorting her as she continued to swim. And after about 15 hours of swimming, you might expect, she became very exhausted, very tired. In fact, she stopped swimming for a moment, treading water, and just said, I can't do this anymore. Her mom was on the trip and encouraged her. She said, honey, you can do this. Just keep trying, keep trying. So she put her head down and continued forward and tried to swim farther. But she finally reached a point where she was physically and emotionally exhausted. She said, I can't do this. And so they helped her out of the water. And what they didn't realize was that because of the fog, they couldn't see the fact that she was less than a mile away from shore. The next day, there was a press conference, and uh, she said this. She said, all I could see was the fog. If I could have seen the shore, I know I would have made it. I think we hear that story and we need to to translate it to our life and realize that in this world it's easy to get lost in the fog. It can be physically and emotionally exhausting to do the right thing. Especially as a Christian, you're like you're swimming upstream in a downstream world. And so you have to train your heart to see beyond the limits of this world. Somehow we've got to gain an eternal perspective to see beyond the fog. I think the the writer of Psalm 49 understood that. Look at that with me. Turn to Psalm 49. Psalm 49, verse 1. The psalmist begins in Psalm 49, verse 1. He says, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, Rich and poor together. And so he's trying to make the underst- give us the understanding. This applies to everyone. There's no exception. All s- from one end of the spectrum to the other. Rich and poor, high and low, doesn't matter. This applies to all of us. Look at what he says in verse 5. Why should I fear when evil days come? When wicked deceivers surround me? No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom. He goes on in verse 10 and says, For all can see that wise men die. In verse 12, man, despite his riches, will not endure. He's making the point that this applies to everyone. And here's the the reality. We all die. 
It's 100% effective in the lives of every human being since the beginning of time. There are no exceptions. It applies to all of us. But look at what he says in verse 15. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. That's an eternal perspective. Someone who looks at this world and doesn't get lost in the fog by finding hope in riches or success or performance, but instead says that my heart and my soul finds rest in God alone. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He sees beyond the fog and believes in God's promise from an eternal point of view. See, those two words mark a major turning point in our life. They have the power to turn sadness into joy, discouragement into hope, guilt into forgiveness, even death into life. And so when we find ourselves in situations that we can't see our way out of, and sometimes, even though I've committed things to memory, I can't bring those things to mind. But here's what I want to encourage you in. Just remember those two words, but God, but you, but now, O sovereign Lord, and that's where you put your hope. So as we finish up this morning, I want us to take some time to just share the things that you are grateful for because of God, and I want to frame it in the context of what we just walked through together. You may have been in a difficult situation in your life, but God was merciful to you, and you're thankful for that. So let's just take a moment, one at a time, and share some of the things that we are thankful for based on what God has done for us. But God, but you, but now. Who wants to go first? Thank you. And was able to witness that firsthand to see how God worked in your heart and it changed the relationship with your mom. Sometimes we're in those situations and we think, well, if that person would just change, this would all get better. When in fact, God works in our heart and that's the pathway to reconciliation. So thank you for sharing that. What else? Amen. Thanks, Carla. See, that's one of those situations where the fog of this world is going to leave you confused. If you try to explain that and understand it within the context of this world, it makes no sense. The only hope we have is to see a tragedy like that from the context from, of an internal point of view where we believe in God's promise to rescue us and to restore us and to make all things new and that He is ultimately sovereignly in control. But you, O oh sovereign God. Carla, thanks for sharing. And I know that there have been tearful conversations of questions about where is God in the midst of we thought we were walking in faith and yet where's the provision that we need so desperately? And then it was interesting to hear this morning how uh, God provided a job with a boss who invited you over for Thanksgiving because he cared for people who didn't have family here. That's God's provision in a powerful way. We could do this all afternoon as soon as some of you got the courage to speak up. <laughs> but I want you to hear just enough to realize 
that we have so much to be thankful for because of God's gracious provision in our lives in, in some very miraculous ways. So this idea of understanding from an eternal point of view what, about what God has done, but God from an eternal perspective, you guys experience that. And that's why it's important to tell those stories. That's why it's in that book. Is because if we don't have those promises, if we don't have that hope, we get lost in the world. We get physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted, and we want to quit. But if we could see just beyond that to what God promises and how that's fulfilled, then it gives us the encouragement to keep going on. And sometimes we can't figure that out on our own, and we need someone to tell us so that they can come alongside us and help us as we continue moving forward. So let's pray together. If you would, stand up. God, I am grateful for this church family and how you have graciously blessed us. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even just in the few small stories this morning of your rescue from hopelessness, your promise of eternal life, your gift of new life, reconciliation, provision. These are our experiences because of your presence in our lives for the praise and glory of your name. Father, may we not forget and get lost in the fog of this world and miss out on the promises that have eternal significance in our lives when we put our trust in you, when we hide behind the sovereignty of, of your shield of faith and hope and love. And Father, help us to be mindful of those around us who may need just a little extra encouragement, especially during times like this, to be reminded of God's promises in the midst of of our circumstances and to realize that there is nothing that he will allow in our lives that is bigger than he can handle and that we can rest in him. He alone is our rock and our salvation, our stronghold, and in him we will not be greatly shaken. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look around you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a promise. And may we live in great faith in that being true. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.